Welcome to another broadcast of Hope for the Heart. Again, my name is William Rogers, and I'll be bringing the message again today. And We're still in the book of Revelation. We're working our way through the book of Revelation, all the way through it, uh, verse by verse. Uh, and so we're going to continue today in Revelation chapter 14. Uh, last time we spoke on the cup of God's wrath, and I did not actually get finished with that, uh, at least finished in the way I would like to finish it. So I'm going to try to wrap that up and then jump into the next section. And, of course, then I won't finish the next section. Uh, so, But that's just the nature of the way it goes sometimes. I, I can't just drag one out forever. So the text, uh, our context for today is found in Revelation chapter 14. And I would like to read some of that to you uh, as we go ahead and, and prepare. So if you have a copy of God's Word and want to follow along, I encourage you to do that. Uh, the, the text from last week, and I'll read a couple of verses from that and then this week, but from last week it was verses 9 through 11, and I'm going to read beginning in verse 10 of Revelation chapter 14. Uh, Revelation chapter uh, 14, verse 10, the Word of God says, He also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day and night, those who worship the beast and his image, those who receive the mark of his name. Now, I want to go ahead and read the text for this week. If I, Even if I can't get into it, I want to read it. And it begins in verse 12. Here's perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, from their deeds follow with them. So you can see right off, this is, this is a hard subject. And I can't even hardly read this without thinking about the verse that's found in Psalm 116, verse 15. Uh, Psalm 116, verse 15. It says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Uh, and that, that is a that, that's not an easy subject to preach on. I know it it, it says there from from God's point of view, it is precious uh, in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. But yet, death is not something we like to talk about. Uh, nobody just enjoys getting dressed and going to a funeral. And of course, many day many times uh, nowadays, people aren't even having funerals. They're having a somewhat of a memorial service. And they're uh, cremating the bodies. And uh, one of these days I'm going to teach on that. I don't believe in cremation. And I know I've gotten a lot of static on that from some and blessings from others. Which is always the way it is when you bring the Word of God. But I want to talk about a few things in this because it is so uh, important for us to look at this. It's such a uh, powerful passage. Because he's got the, in verses 9 through 11, we see uh, the the message of this uh, third angel that we presented last time, uh, that the second angel followed uh, the first angel by saying, Fallen, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, she who has made all the nations drink of the wine of the passion of her immorality. And then we finished that and went straight into the next angel, which is the third one, followed that them saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives a mark on his forehead or upon his hand, then it says he will drink of the, the wrath of God. And so I want you to notice that first is there, there are bookends of, of, of statements here. One is found in verse 9 and one is found in verse 11. 
And that bookend statement is, if anyone worships the beast in his image and receives a mark on his forehead or upon his hand, that's in verse 9. Verse 11 says the same thing. Those who receive the beast in the image and uh, receive the mark of the, the uh, mark of his name. And so it's just that there are bookends here. And in between that uh, is the death of those who receive that, who follow after the Antichrist, the false prophet, or following Satan themselves. It begins a, a just a terrible, terrible uh, passage to look at. And then you find the t- just a complete opposite contrast when you look at verses 12 and 13 because you have, in verses 9 through 11, you have the death of unbelievers, those who follow and worship the Antichrist, the beast, and the false prophet. Those who worship that are going to die one way, and then believers will die another way. And what a contrast. It is a tremendous contrast. In fact, I have been to so many funerals. Being a pastor, I've had to uh, teach and preach at, at these funerals. And it, it, is, it is so different to go into a room uh, of the family and to talk to them about the death of their loved one when that person died as an unbeliever. And then you go into the room and talk to the family and seeing the friends gather of the the one who is the believer. It is just a night and day difference just in the room itself, in the atmosphere of the people and the attitudes. And so this is pretty much even more uh, dramatic here because you see in the Scripture the description of the one who dies as an unbeliever. And by the way, the reason it mentions unbelievers here as those who worship the beast in his image and receive the mark of his forehead a mark on his forehead or upon his hand as the unbeliever is because back in chapter 13 we are told all will believe in him. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. And that is important to know. So the characteristic of unbelievers at this point of the tribulation and throughout the tribulation period is going to be marked by unbelievers are going to be those that are following the 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 have, have the mark of the beast, the antichrist, uh, and they're following him and the false prophet, which means they're actually following Satan. Because in verse thirteen or chapter thirteen, verse uh, nine, uh, eight, it says, "All who dwell on the earth will worship him. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation." of the world in the book of life and the Lamb who has been slain. So, you have a contrast of people in verse 9 of chapter 13 of Revelation. And then in chapter 14, you have the same contrast given to us a little bit differently, but it's the same contrast. You have those who die outside the Lord and those who die in the Lord. And so you look at this and you think, wow, what a description, what a, what a contrast this is. Those who die without Christ are characterized as following and actually worshiping the beast and the false prophet. You think, well, how can that be? How could they be so deceived? How could they follow along after that? Because they're going to be hearing the gospel. They're going to be in the presence of probably a lot of people who are believers. There's going to be a lot of believers at that time. And so, we, we take a look at this contrast, and it just presents some truths before us that I want to look at today. So, as we get into this, I want to remind you that uh, we've already covered a lot of this, so I'm not going to be giving you all the detail 
as far as the introduction material to all of that, but just to dig right in and look at this, uh, beginning in verse 9, it gives the description of the people. If anyone worships the beast, and that is all the unbelievers, and this is saying if anyone among the people of the world are believers and following and worshiping and have received the the mark of the of the of received the mark of on his forehead or on his forehand that beast then they are classified as unbelievers who are going to die a certain way now look at that description in verse 10 he also will drink of the wine of the wrath of god which is mixed in full strength now they're already drinking from another cup uh found in verse 8, she who has made all the nations drink of the wine of the passion of her immorality. So there is another description right there. And so this evil system has made all the nations drink of the wine of the passion of her immorality. And again, we're going to describe who that actually is and take a closer look, much closer look, in chapter 17 and 18. The immorality in the spiritual sense is what I mentioned last week. That's what this is talking about. Certainly there will be sexual sins like the world has never known before in extreme measure, but the real issue here is what you could call whoring fornication on a spiritual level. That would be unfaithfulness to God. The people of this world get involved in the system. They are embedded in the, in the passion of the immorality that is going around uh, in full strength around the world. The word passion there... Uh, it really means out of control with desire. It pictures, like I mentioned last week, it pictures a, an orgy or rebellion, orgy or, of adultery uh, or animosity and hatred. In other words, it's the unifying of the people together to, to, in their hatred towards God. And the whole world will drink of the wine of that passion. And then mixed with that, uh, is going to be these people. They're also, at the same time, they're, they're involved in the worship of the Antichrist. And then in verse 10, they were also are going to have to drink of the wine of the wrath of God mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger. And then they're going to die. Now, interesting, in this comparison, in this contrast, you don't see these unbelievers, you don't see the word death. Notice it doesn't say they die. It just says they will. Uh, they are going to drink, verse 10, of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger, and then a comma, and he will be tormented with fire and brimstone. Well, that means that he died, or that person dies, and they're going to be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels, in the presence of the Lamb. And then verse 11 even describes it further. But then notice in contrast, look at the believers who die, those who die in the Lord, verse 11. Here is the perseverance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Christ. That's one thing. But then look in verse 13. I heard the voice from heaven saying, Right, blessed are the dead. So now we find that the believers, it says, blessed are the dead. Well, you think, well, how could blessed be associated in the same sentence with dead. It's, it's just not something we tend to think about. We don't tend to think about blessings and dead. Uh, we think that perhaps that's what a terrorist might think of because they think it's a, a blessing to die 
while killing people and be rewarded for that. We don't tend to think of blessed are the dead. So this is a, this is the, what we're, we're looking at here is this contrast. And so this third angel is pronouncing a damnation. Uh, it's another angel. He's not preaching the gospel, not proclaiming necessarily the judgment or pronouncing the character of damnation. But this one is saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast in his image and receives a mark on his forehead upon his hand, and then this is what's going to characterize that person. This is what it's going to be. Uh, it is the message that we find in verse 9. If you worship the beast, you are going to pay a separate kind of price. It's going to be much more than what you can ever even imagine. This angel is saying here is the we're at the very end, and you've been hearing the gospel. You can almost hear. In fact, we even had the first angel proclaiming the gospel. And so these people now who have received the mark of the beast, they're able to buy and they're sell. They're able to get along with food, perhaps shelter, and uh, they're not some of the one. They're not the ones that the uh, the antichrist and the false prophet are going after, seeking to kill. They are seeking to kill believers, not the unbelievers, not those who have that mark. They are being protected in a sense temporarily, and so we find this message is to them. If they receive that mark, then there is something they are going to receive. A cup filled with the full wrath and the anger of God. They've already drank the first cup in verse 8, and now there comes the second cup. They're only human. The only humans in the world that are going to receive this are those who are following the beast. It's like, man, think about that. Because when they've received that mark, they're going to look at themselves possibly as blessed because they're going to have access to whatever food supply there is, whatever water there is, they're going to be able to take it freely and and perhaps even live a little longer because of that. They're going to think they are probably blessed. The, but they have voluntarily drank of the cup of the passion of their immorality of the Antichrist, and now God is going to force this cup, as one writer puts it, down their throats, the cup of God's wrath. In fact, we can find this phraseology used in the scriptures in several different places. Actually, many. I think I counted 27 places that I saw of just casually looking. Places like Psalm 75, verse 8, for example, says, For a cup in the hand of the Lord and a wine, and the wine foams. It is well mixed. He pours out this. Surely all the wicked of the earth must drink and drink down its dregs. God is going to pour wine down the throats of the ungodly. Isaiah saw the same very dramatic and vivid reality uh, in Isaiah fifty-one seventeen. I'm not going to try to read all of these. And Jeremiah even sees the same thing in Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 15. And again, I'm not trying to give you these so you can turn to them real quick. I give them to you perhaps so that you may jot them down if you would like and look at them. Like, Psalm, well, like I gave you, Psalm 75, 8, Isaiah 51, 17. Uh, Jeremiah twenty five fifteen and Jeremiah sixteen, uh, but then here in verse ten of Revelation, back to Revelation fourteen, this wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength, is an interesting phrase. Sometimes when you read about wine being mixed, it's mixed with water, but not in this case because it's not mixed to be diluted. It's mixed to be given strength, or literally, it's mixed unmixed. What does this mean? It means strong wine unmixed with any water, was made even stronger by spices that made it even more pungent or more potent. 
And so this is what that is description of. That's what you have here. The unmixed wine of God is made stronger, given full strength in the cup of his anger. It's unmitigated vengeance. And this is being poured out upon the people who partake in the worship of the Antichrist. Oh, man, what, what a terrible thing. But then it says tormented. In, in verse 10 it says, he will be tormented with fire and brimstone. I don't really know exactly what that is, uh, other than just what definitions and uh, things I get from the Scripture. But imagine, if you will, what that is. whatever your mind conjures up, with the word tormented, it refers to a ceaseless, as one writer puts it, a ceaseless infliction of unbearable pain. That's what tormented is. Tormented means no relief, pain that is unrelenting or unmitigated, never lessened, never diminished, and no split second of, of, of rest from it. It says in the words of our Lord in, in Luke chapter 16, this is the story that most people are more familiar with. The rich man in, 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 in Hades lifted up his eyes, being in torment, it says. Unrelieved, unmitigated infliction of unbearable pain. Well, that's a mouthful. And it tells us that the torment will come with fire and brimstone. Now, I can't, I, I, my mind won't let me conceive of what that is. I can't imagine one second with that. But there's two things often associated, by the way, with divine judgment in Scripture. And I wish we had more time to get into this, but again, we, we, we never have the time to just kind of dwell on these and, and uh, unpack all that is involved there. But I'm just going to unpack some of this. Uh, the things that we see most often associated with divine judgment in Scripture is uh, like Isaiah 34, verses 8 and 10. We find the same kind of references made in the New Testament, Luke 17, just pointing out to you in verse 29. On the day that the light went out from Sodom, it rained, and here come the two words that are associated with judgment, fire and brimstone from heaven, and destroyed them all. That's what Luke 17, 29 says. Now, that is looking back at, at the Old Testament. It rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. And that takes us back to the monumental experience of Sodom and Gomorrah back in Genesis when fire and brimstone rained on the earth and destroyed these cities in the judgment of God. So now that description is being used of the people who are going to partake of worship. Remember, worship. These are people that think they're worshiping God. Because remember now, the Antichrist will take a seat in the temple and declare himself to be God, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 says, and then it says God will send a strong delusion so that they will believe the lie. They're going to believe he's God. The one who can truly save them, encourage them, help them, protect them. Wow, what a deception, what a belief. They're going to worship him. And now because of that, they're going to be tormented day and night with what the, the Bible says would be the worst of things to be tormented with, fire and brimstone. It also says in Revelation 19.20 that the lake of fire burns with brimstone. In chapter 20, verse 10, it says the lake of fire and brimstone. Chapter 21 of Revelation, verse 8, the lake that burns with fire and brimstone. Again, 
hell, the final resting place of unregenerated people, or meaning, or unregenerated people means unbelievers, is a place of ceaseless, unbearable, unrelenting, unrelievable torment that is brought on by fire and brimstone. Brimstone being something like well, I have a hard time describing brimstone because I've never seen a piece. Brimstone is like something like a hot, molten, burning lava uh, that comes out of a volcano. All of this, most interestingly, in verse 10, in the it says all of this... Well, let me just read it to you. Verse 10 of Revelation 14. They're going to be tormented with fire and brimstone, but then it throws in a phrase that is unbelievably confusing. In the presence of holy angels, not just angels, these are the holy angels. That means these are the angels that did not rebel and follow Lucifer. In the presence of holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Now, that's quite interesting, isn't it? This casting of those who reject the gospel into the fire and brimstone will be in the presence of angels. They're going to view this torture. This is a most devastating blow to the wicked, by the way. It certainly will add to their suffering that they must suffer while utter holiness and absolute purity is watching. I didn't come up with that sentence on my own. Uh, That is actually two different writers that put that sentence together. I don't know who quoted who, but they both used the same sentence. How embarrassing or how shameful Donald Gray Barnhouse says. And it says, not only in the presence of holy angels, but then uh, James Montgomery Boyce says, but in the presence of the Lamb himself. And he goes on to say, even though we often would assume that the ungodly are cast out of the presence of God, and certainly Second Thessalonians uh, chapter 1 verse 9 says, they will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of God and the glory of his power. There it says they will be away from his presence. Here it says they'll be in the presence of the Lamb. And I think the point is this. They will be away from his presence in the terms, or in the term, of any kind of care, uh, any kind of uh, a kind of a relationship. There's not going to be any kind of communication. There won't be any kind of comfort. There won't be any kind of mercy, any kind of uh, pity, any kind of compassion. And that, again, is quoting James Montgomery Boyce. But they will not be away from his presence in the terms of his omnipotence. I mean, omnipresence. After all, uh, Matthew chapter 10, verse 28 says this, Fear not him who destroys the body, but fear him who destroys both body and soul in hell. It is still God, the sovereign God of glory, who is doing the destruction in hell throughout eternity. It is never out of his control. You see, that, that's something that I, I know we, we can't understand. We can't understand what this verse says as far as personal application to it. If you're a believer, you've trusted Christ, you've, you're, you're trusting him for your salvation, you've repented of your sins, in other words, you're following the, what the gospel says, then you're not this group. You will not be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. That's not you. The point is that 
we were, we're going to live in the presence. The point of the unbelievers having this verse is they are not going to be in the presence, except in the presence through torment. So, the lake of fire, in a sense, is outside the presence of God, as far as those things that I, I gave you. Revelation 21, verse 27 says, Nothing unclean and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it. And that's the holy city they're talking about in Revelation 21, 27. The ungodly are outside, and there's where the Lamb lives and where God lives. Chapter 22, it says again that the people inside are the righteous, and the outside, verse 15, are dogs and sorcerers and immoralities or immorals and the murderers and idolaters, everyone who loves and practices those. The ungodly are outside the holy city, and they're outside the eternal new heaven and new earth. But what... And that that's sometimes I remember when I first read that I th- I had the picture of a of a camp with walls around it and the 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 angels and God and and the believers were all inside those walls and just over the wall were all those unbelievers but that's not the picture here at all I don't know where I got that picture uh, but that's not the picture we have here this is totally can be totally separated by a. a I can't even give descriptive words. But outside doesn't mean directly outside within throwing distance. It can mean totally outside the universe, but yet outside of where the presence of God is. But yet they're not outside the omnipresence of God in Christ. Can you figure that one out? I cannot. We we just cannot understand those terms because we're limited uh, as I would say many times in the pulpit, we have pea-sized brains and we, we just can't conceive of these things. In verse 11, he wraps up his message saying, the smoke of their torment, look at this, goes up forever and ever. Oh, You know, you talk about something this like this, it's, it's just unbelievable to think about this. Their smoke goes up, the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest day and night. And then who is he talking about again? He gives again that last statement. He says it again. Those who worship the beast in his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Again, just to clarify, those are the ones that we're talking about here. It's the same destiny as before the rapture of unbelievers who died without Christ. Same destiny. But here they're being classified because of this unique time called the tribulation period. Those who die, who have the mark of the beast, basically, you receive the mark of the beast, this is your punishment. This is where you will go. There is no grace available for you. That is what we could say is the unpardonable sin, receiving that mark. It doesn't phrase it like that. But when you get that mark of the beast, it's over. There is no repentance available for you. <clears throat> Some people will try to argue that hell's not forever. This angel, I think, would, would, would disagree with that. Uh, this angel would like to debate those who believe in annihilationism or who believe in universalism, who believe in any form of conditional immorality. This angel would debate any of that. There are people who say, well, nobody is ever going to really go to hell. Well, this angel would disagree with that. Uh, this angel says, no, that's not true. There are others who would say, well, they're going to go to hell for a little while, and after a little punishment, they're going to be released. No, this, that's not true either. 
There are so many ways people try to distort, twist truth to mean something else. They do go to hell. They do. Listen to what it says. The smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day and night. You know, if you were to put behind curtain number one, the view of heaven and God and Christ and the peace that's available to them and the very fact of this verse 12, blessed are those who die. And who, uh, the pers- this is the perseverance of the saints. And then you put behind door number two, hell and the picture of what that is, the separation from people, the torment, the fire, the brimstone. Who in their right mind would choose door number two for their life for eternity when they die? You say, well, no one, but that's what they're choosing. When they choose to follow the, the devil, when they choose to follow the Antichrist, when they choose to follow the, the false prophet, when they receive the mark of the beast, showing their allegiance as proof of who they're following and who they're worshiping, that's what they're choosing. They're going to hell, and they're going to suffer for a while, and then they're going to be annihilated. No, that's not true. That's not what this passage says. What this angel is proclaiming is that the smoke of their torment will go up how long? Forever. It will go on forever and ever. I'm sorry we don't find any other very supportive words to turn to this truth. But in in Mark chapter 9, verse 48, it says this, In hell the worm does not die, and the fire is not quenched. In other words, there's no end to it. It goes on forever. You remember what John the Baptist said in Matthew chapter 3, talking about the judge who would come and burn the chaff and the unquenchable fire. That is a fire that cannot be put out. Depart from me, says the Lord in Matthew chapter 25, verse 41. Accursed ones, the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And so tragic, so unthinkable, so unimaginable fate of those who continue to reject Christ. Why would you reject Christ? The reject Christ right up to the very end, along with all the others who reject him, their smoke from the torment will go on forever. But then he gives us another contrast. In other words, that's not, you don't have to die that way. There is another way. And look at what verse, verse 12 says. Look at the contrast to this. These are not people who, who worship the beast. These are people who, verse 12, perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and faith in Christ. Man, this is something we're going to jump into next week or next time, and we're going to take a look at it because, man, there are some unbelievable contrasts here. Blessed are the dead. Blessed are the those who die in the Lord. Blessed means happy. So you could say this means happy are the dead. Man, unbelievable. Those, in fact, this, this passage is, is basically talking about the characteristics of perseverance. It gives us a definition, perseverance here, of the saints is said to be those who keep the commandments of God and they keep their faith in Christ. Let me tell you something. True faith never dies. Uh, there's a saying I used to uh, use that I got from another pastor. The faith that fizzles before the finish was flawed from the first. Basically, this. Your faith, if it's true faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, will never fizzle. It will never die out. It will always remain true no matter what circumstance we go through. No matter what. <clears throat> and there's no better evidence of that than in Revelation chapter 
14. Because this, they're living in the worst of times. These people are living in the worst of times in the history of the world. It's the middle of the worst persecution believers have ever gone through in human history. It's the worst in time in, in, in the history of the entire world. It's the worst of time of, of all the times of the believers have ever seen by far. They are in a time when everything is being crushed under the power of Satan or under the judgment and the power of God. They're in the greatest time of slaughter the world has ever known. They're in the greatest time of martyrdom that believers have ever suffered. And they're being told this. So this, my friends, is a message of encouragement. I just could not end on the 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 death of unbelievers and where their torture and their punishment is going to be for verse 12 and 13 gives us a whole different pictures a contrast that ought to arrest our attention to the fact that it is those who keep the commandments of God and they keep their faith in Jesus all the way to the end now there's some things that doesn't mean it doesn't mean they're perfect and it doesn't mean they're not going to die so folks again uh, I'm at the end of another broadcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, for now, this is uh, William Rogers, and we're going through the book of Revelation. Next time, we're going to look in detail at verses 12 and 13. I intended to do that today. I just could not get there. So, but next time, we will get there because we're going to start there. And you're going to see some unbelievable truths related to those who die in the Lord. That's the key dying in the Lord. So once again, I thank you for joining today.